Hey, I'm Greg Utanis. I'm the executive producer and director of this episode of Banshee. Hi, Jonathan Tropper. I'm the executive producer and writer of this episode of Banshee. Hi, I'm Marcus Young. I'm one of the stunt coordinators and fight coordinator on the show. It's cool that we opened with the title sequence on this episode because, you know, it was important to separate this episode from other episodes we had done where we've had a traditional teaser. You know, one of the things that I like that Jonathan says is that we, we opened the show twice by having, you know, a little pre-credit scene and then having, you know, the show start after the main titles. But it was important for me that we just got sucked into the drama of this particular episode and opened with the title sequence so we didn't break the illusion. This episode just definitely has a different feel than the other nine episodes in that this is a very tightly focused, uh, dialogue-driven episode. Well, di I say dialogue-driven even though it's got sort of the, the greatest fight of our season in it, but it's, it's both of those things. It's just really a very tightly focused episode. I guess it's the Banshee version of a bottle episode. Yeah, and just to, you know, tell people what a bottle episode is, is that, you know, we're under such a tight schedule and tight budget throughout the season that, you know, traditionally there is an episode in somebody's TV season and we've probably all seen them where it's a more contained episode, which is where the expression bottle comes from, is that, you know, you've seen them in the past where people are like stuck in an elevator and they're flashing back to other episodes. So, you know, we, we had to do something that wasn't so much contained into one place as it was contained to a certain number of days of shooting. So, you know, and, and to do that, we had to, you know, be a little bit more dramatic, but, uh, you know, kind of per usual and kind of in Banshee style, you know, one of the best fight sequences uh, of the season uh, emerged, and which is why we had Marcus here. But, but before we get to that, you know, Jonathan, what was, you know, this was not the original conceived idea for episode eight. And tell me kind of how this came about. Well, you know, what we really wanted to do here was at the end of episode seven, what you're seeing now is sort of a flashback to the end of episode seven, which is, you know, Lucas and Carrie have finally come together. And we have to understand that there are going to be consequences and ramifications to that. And at the same time, there are going to be consequences and ramifications to Lucas's arriving here in episode one to begin with. And we, we wanted to treat the fact that they finally came together as the trigger that finally sets all those consequences in motion. So the very end of episode seven was kind of the lighting of the fuse that's now going to explode into eight, nine, and 10. Um, so we took episode eight and we made that really about, you know, a really tight study on what the consequences of all this are and, and that's what episode eight really became is just a really focused look at here here are all the consequences to what lucas and carrie have been doing all season it's it's interesting again because you know part of the editorial style emerged you know and don aaron who cut the pilot also cut episode eight and is you know phenomenally talented but some of these things didn't originally necessarily all intercut with each other in the script am i right Yes. You know, I think going into Amish country really for the first time, you know, was also really exciting for us. You know, the show, it's always been a backdrop for us, but to really bring it to the foreground here and be able to open up the show and to see, you know, you know another component, you know, do you want to talk about that? We always had the backdrop of, of the Amish on the show, and yet we stayed pretty much focused on, on Lucas's world and, and downtown Banshee, if you will. But, but we had this great resource we hadn't tapped yet. And the same way we use New York City, in some of the episodes using the actual Amish community and going onto their farms and, and seeing their world suddenly makes the world of Banshee a much bigger place. In order for me to shoot this uh, episode in six days, we had to pre-rehearse so much of it. So you know, everything you'll see with Proctor and uh, Rebecca in Proctor's house, you know, we went there and I shot on my iPhone. 
you know, all the shots and, and worked out really strategically how we were going to attack every day because every day was packed and I shot really for the first time every day with three cameras so that we could be able to accomplish the episode. And actually just, you know, interestingly, the first cut came in at 72 minutes, which was one of our longest cuts. And then that really provided a lot of opportunity to start, you know, condensing the storytelling. funny how like you know the editor Don put in a piece of temp music that we semi you know uh, were inspired by you know when she was leaving yeah it's fantastic the the juxtaposition of that rock music on on the Amish world yeah and to see that she goes and some of these shots were actually shot for uh, Miguel's episode 10 and I, I lifted a couple of them but you know really bringing you know bringing that collision kind of what we did in the opening with the, with the swearing in and being able to intercut you know what was happening with other events that were taking place to have, you know, the conversation between Carrie and Lucas here, you know, intercut under silently, you know, over, over uh, Gordon, you know, starting to realize in the madness that he's having that he can't put his finger on what has happened to his life in the last right. few months. And that was not scripted. That was, that was your invention that actually works very well. In the script, those were separate scenes. Well, also, you know, we compressed a bit of their, their sequence in here and we're able to just, you know, enhance what Anthony and Ivana were doing and they were you know incredible I mean we we went to the loft this is on one of our sound stages and we you know rehearsed this to to no end you know and to really just make sure that we we went into it with just enough knowledge of how we were going to approach it without burning everybody out and you know it required a very um you know I love this when we go into single what I call single camera mode where you know, I strip away the three cameras and, you know, I just go in and I start following the characters and, and we did we always did a moving master, meaning, you know, one pass of the scene with just one camera following and grabbing pieces. Yeah, my sister was visiting the set this day and we were sitting in Video Village while they were doing this and my sister, who didn't really know a lot about the show at all, was actually in tears at, at one point during the scene, like she just was so moved by what was going on between them. We've all been there in some form or another. And, you know, this is what we talked about, that everything in season one comes to its logical and inevitable conclusion. You know, you can't sustain a ruse like this. I mean, she so dramatically changes. And, you know, throughout the season, you've seen her push and pull. Like any relationship that's that's psychologically messy, you know, you see that she wants to be with her husband. She wants to be with Lucas. She's lying. She's not lying. She can't take it, you know, and she's ripped to pieces. And you feel all that on Ivana. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we have to constantly discuss with the network because they track the relationship very carefully. And, you know, our point as, as the writers of the show is always that, you know, relationships don't happen in straight lines. And yes, it's true. Last episode, she was telling him to get lost. So, you know, some people might think, well, then it doesn't make sense that this episode she's sleeping with him. And if she slept with him in the last episode, why is she telling him to get lost now? And you know, that's that's how people deal with complex situations is is they're not consistent and they're they're trying to find their footing and they keep changing their position. And that's what we have with Lucas and Carrie. You know, for as heightened as we are as a show in terms of the world and the premise and the setting, like I just found that the relationships so, you know, were honest and authentic and grounded because because of that inconsistency and messiness. Sure. And that John Romano is a, a writer who's going to be working on season two with us actually used the expression that these are real toads in a magical pond. And Gordon, I just got out of the Marines and I was It's very well said. You know, the relationships are very real. I have to find 
And I love that at the same time, like we, you know, for anybody that's gotten this far, this episode is about to air as we're doing the commentary. So I'm, I'm particularly excited to see the response to this because if you've been enjoying the show, like I just think it is a terrific episode for someone who really loves the show. It really boils down to kind of the essential six characters that the story needed to be told about and, you know, bringing ahead to everybody's, you know, drama and conflict in one place. It's not about you and me anymore. Russ's like reaction here to like his shoulder pain and, you know, he is sort of, you know, again, one of our unsung heroes of, of Banshees that, that Russ just so, your heart breaks for him and what he's going through, you know, and the anger and the madness that, that we've probably all experienced some point in a relationship, you know, is, is so well represented by him. I mean, Gordon has been lying to himself now for seven or eight episodes and gradually waking up to the fact that there's something going on with his wife and, and he's now determined to figure out what that is. Totally. Now, just, you know, turning on to Marcus, you know, uh, Marcus, you came uh, into Banshee uh, in the first, like, third of the season. And, and, you know, I remember our first phone call together, you know, and you were like, how far can I go? I'm like, you can go all the way. He's like, can I take it? You know, I, I want to go X-rated. I want to go as far and I want you to pull me back. And, 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 you know, have you felt that I've ever had to pull you back? Like, what? tell me about how you came at the show and, and where you came from in terms of uh, how you wanted to approach the fight choreography, which is so grounds our series. I, um, I remember that conversation very well on the phone, and uh, I don't think I'll ever forget it. I don't think I've ever been pulled back from you. If anything, I've been pushed to go even further from, you know, the writing to your direction. If you don't, I'll kill you myself. You know, the excitement and the passion for it, we just kept kind of feeding off of each other and putting out ideas, and it just blossomed into something that, you know, I'm proud of, and hopefully everyone is going to enjoy it just as much as we did putting it together. Did you look at every character? Did you try to assign them a particular way or style of fighting? Like, how's your process, and how did you break down approaching with Banshee the fight scenes? Well, I think the action sequence is a story in itself. It has to help for the story. If it doesn't, then it's just kind of random acts of violence. I could kill you if you became a problem. Are you going to be a problem? So taking your guys' notes and really understanding where the characters are coming from gave us a chance to design the action for them. He has missed you terribly. He's insane. He loves we really haven't seen Carrie fight other than the beginning of 103, so this was our chance to kind of explode with her character and with her dedication and her time off. I mean, we just exploded with the scene. She was in there rehearsing with us on her days off. Is there a style of fighting that she's doing that's different than Oleg, that's different than Lucas? Like, tell me a little bit about the the general philosophy of Proctor, Lucas, Carey, and Oleg in terms of the way they fight? Well, coming in, you know, a third into the season, a style was already kind of established with them, so we didn't want to deviate from that. I think it's important that we stay true to the characters, and I know with, with Proctor, his character, they started creating like a Wing Chun style with him, so I wanted to kind of keep along those lines. Lucas is more of that Muay Thai street brawler. He's kind of come from the prison system so survival of the fittest is more of his style get the job done as fast as you possibly can carrie wanted to kind of give her a little bit more of a style she kind of has a combination between you know the martial arts side we also had some jujitsu moves that we also included in there you should have seen the looks on their faces when this amish kid came at them not when they expected 
Oleg's character. You know, Christos came to us with a Taekwondo background, but we wanted to challenge him as well. So we gave him a lot of different martial arts styles instead of it just being strictly Taekwondo for him. Whatever happens, you'll always have a home here. Thank you. And Jonathan, just to transition for a sec, like, did you guys imagine, you know, in, in the origins of all these characters that they all had different fight yeah, styles? So, How did you come you know, to that? You know, I, I came from, from a strong martial arts background. I had done 20 years of Chinese martial arts. And, you know, what was really important to me is, even though I was raised on and I loved all of the martial arts movies, what was really important to me is, you know, when you've studied martial arts for a long time, you realize so much of what gets taught in classical martial arts is is really artistic, but not remotely street practical. And I didn't want to have a show where people throw spinning kicks and flying kicks and, and all these things that would never actually take out an opponent in, in an actual fight. And so it wasn't really important to me what the origin of each person's martial art was as much as that whatever it was, it started from there, but then that the stunt guys and the choreographers uh, took that and made it look very street practical and organic as opposed to, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme throwing that beautiful balletic kick that wouldn't really stun anybody. Now, when you were writing this, you know, how did you arrive at, you know, this connection between Oleg and Lucas? How much of the show up to this point was inspiring the writing that surprised you where you took episode eight? Well, we initially, we called Oleg's character in the, in the script of the pilot Widow's Peak, and we obviously, we didn't have larger plans from him, but, you know, once we started working with, with Chris on the set and, and, you know, getting to know him a bit and seeing the result of him on screen, he has a great sort of malevolent presence on screen. He's very tough. He's very um, graceful. And he's a good actor, and we just felt like we wanted to see more of him. And, and the way to delve into Lucas and Carrie's past was to show that they actually have a past with these guys as well. And the idea that these three would have come of age together and now find themselves on very separate sides of this battle, there, there's something sort of tragic about that. You know, you're fighting someone you actually know and used to hang out with and drink with, and now it's a matter of life and death between you. There's something really compelling about that. And what's your writing process? Do you just scribble down ideas and those ideas become index cards, become outlines, become a script? Like, how do you go about approaching this? Uh, because we have so many different storylines going on, we do have to outline the episodes to make sure that we're servicing each storyline properly as we go through a season. But in terms of what happens in those scenes, that just happens when you're actually writing the script. We know what has to basically take place in each scene, what the objective of each scene is, and then... So you end up with an outline that's basically a scene-by-scene -scene outline with no dialogue and no screen direction, just this is what happens, and then you go into the script and you actually write it. One of the great pleasures I've had working you know, with, with the stunt guys and with Marcus in particular is when I write a fight scene, I do to some extent choreograph it in the writing, but that's really just to convey the elements of the story that are happening within the fight. And what I like about you know, Marcus and his guys' processes, they sit down and they walk through the script with you and they, they ask you, like, what are the story beats of this fight? You know, what is his attitude here? What's happening here? Then they go and create this masterful choreography, which, of course, I could never do, and, and they base it on the story. And, it's you know, I've never watched one of their fights and felt like they just went off on some direction that, that wasn't intended. I begged you. He's going to kill all of us. Not if I kill him first. Oh, please. Think about it. Oleg, 
So, Marcus, where does that kind of storytelling come from you? Like, what pulls you to, to tell a story through, you know, violence and fighting? Well, I think it's taking everyone's ideas and their their thought process of how they think the character is going to be from the actors to, you know, the outline of the script to what you would like to see as the director and really kind of massage those together and also put, you know, a little spin, my spin on it as well to create something that's different because we always see fights on shows and they all start to look alike. So we want to try to keep something fresh and alive yeah. and also keep the story going with this. And this was a difficult one in the sense that I remember in 103, you said that was going to be our biggest one. And then we had the sit down meeting on this one and you said, well, this is my episode, so I want to go big. Yeah. Well, for me, like there's movie references for, for fights that I like, like, you know, for true romance, I thought up until now, you know, had one of the best man woman fights that was done in film, just the way that they live had one of the longest kind of fight scenes that we, you know, we clearly topple in episode nine, you know, and, and what I love is that we've, you know, one of the goals, if I could go back from results was that people would point to the fight sequences as like, you know, this is the best kind of this fight and this is the best, this kind of fight and the relentlessness and the length that they go for, I think is particularly exciting. But I know that, you know, I wanted to have, you know, from a result standpoint, like I just wanted this epic battle. And also if anybody wanted to point or talk or geek out about what was the best fight between a man and a woman, it would come back to Banshee somehow because it goes for, you know, seemingly half the episode. What? How did he find out, Rabbit? You were so careful all the time. The way you met in his apartment, the hours you kept. And I love that too. I would love to have this as a reference as, you know, one of the best fight scenes ever. And that's clearly what we were going for. What's your background, Marcus, that brought you to fight choreography? I was brought up with martial arts, so that was kind of my in with the stunt world and worked on some of the top films in Hollywood, but also taking... Well, tell us, tell us a few of the films that, that brought you to us. Let's see, everywhere from Matrix 2 Reloaded to Scorpion King to the newest Star Trek. So it's years of experience that come together and honing this together and trying to create something magical. I remember one of the conversations when we were making the transition, you were coming onto the show and... And, uh, you know, the old team, you know, was like, you know, who could you possibly get that's going to be able to do this show? And I'm like, oh, we got Marcus Young. And then everybody just went quiet. <laughs> like, one of the things I love, I love about Marcus is that he commands such a quiet respect and is truly, you know, one of the most respected fight choreographers in the business. You just can't be here right now. I've been hearing that a lot today. Ah, shit. Getting you know you on Banshee you know was really fortunate for us because I feel like you know every time that you and your guys have to step up and you work so well with Jimmy Romano you know who's your partner in this you know you you become sort of the other person at the table that that you know, it's like you know, you know myself as a director Jonathan as writer and you know you you know are, are also you know propelling the story with with what you're doing you know and you also have a really um, interesting process of choreographing and I think we're doing a behind the scenes on this DVD as well of, you know, the work you guys do. How do you, because I've never worked in that way. Tell us a bit about how you choreograph the fights and how you visualize them for, for the rest of the crew. Well, we had talked about putting together, you know, the styles. And to be honest, we use this as a baseline, but also we wanted to create something new and fresh. So it's kind of, I call it Hollywood dough. You know, you're taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that and putting it all together. 
and hopefully creating your own style in itself. But when you showed me the fights, the great thing is that helps me as a director is that you guys have acted out the fight on location with the stunt guys. Sometimes in this case, one of the stunt, the male We're, stunt guys was wearing, wearing a wig. wig. Yeah. yeah, and they deliver all the lines of dialogue, <laughs> and they really, they really shoot the scene in in, in their yeah. own way. And then way. you guys cut it together. And tell us a bit about that. Well, we started off with each character and play on their on their strengths and you know also know what their weaknesses are so they can I mean, just interrupt go back for and one forth. second the way that the ukrainian in the script and jonathan and i talked because it was actually while i was making this episode that i was in the car with my wife and she was talking to her mom and i noticed that in the course of the conversation she would often say things in farsi and then reinforce them in english and i love that jonathan incorporated a bit of a bit of that into uh, the show you should run now <laughs> Oh shit! <laughs> but, That's what I like to hear. Um, oh, wait, we hear we have the introduction. Oh no, not this soon, not yet, Nola. This is the Long Shadow death scene. Yeah, I love that Alex Long Shadow's you know series regular this uh, you know coming season two. Yeah, every time we shot him, I felt like we got to be doing more with this guy. And one of the things that we talked about just to the fights for a second. One of the details I love here is that. Proctor knows some of the customs and respects the customs that that he's you know that he he knows when to fit in and to show reverence you know and I just yeah I love that Ulrich you know his process you know supports these kind of things sure. you know going back to the fight for a second you know we talked about every time we left the fight to really end on some sort of great button which we do you know in this case Carrie smashing the wall talk about like you know how you guys you know approach a space and figure out is it is it you know weapons of opportunity is it you know how much does the location or environment influence you guys it determines a lot that's why i think when we go and scout we look at things and we see what's there or the possibility of putting things there they become part of the story as well and you're absolutely right with the impact that we wanted to we wanted to create that impact so i remember distinctly you said i want to bust everything in this place up and uh, that's what we were going for. And everywhere from, you know, the barn doors that you would think no one would go through, we we sent Carrie through it. Yeah, and I love that. And I love sometimes the humor that still comes out of it. But sometimes she just takes, I mean, I, I was cringing at some of the things. You know, especially in this section of the fight, I think is great. Yeah, it's a cat and mouse, you know, they go back and forth. I mean, right there. Christos Usually. did his own stunt there, right? Absolutely. That, yeah. did all his own they, did. they did all their own, Majority a lot of their own of all stunts of here. That's, I love that <laughs> smash. Usually you see the girl doing the arm bar on the guy, and the guy, you know, yeah. is doing it to her. So we wanted to create that idea. Now, when you guys go out, you're telling a story in a rhythm, you know, and, and finding things like, how do you guys modulate, you know, who's on top, who's on bottom, who's, you know, who, you know, how do you define the power struggle? Well, we talked about this, you know, about designing this fight and we want it to go back and forth. So we started off with Oleg taking charge of this fight. And then from here, the tides are going to change. So each little act that we went through with you, we created another dynamics that was happening. It also helps that you guys shoot these things, you know, because you guys shoot them on video, you cut them together, you put in sound effects, you put in some rudimentary visual effects for things that break. 
And for me, it's as a director, you know, I'd say there's a good 50% of the shot design of the fights that reflects what you guys have done because you're also shooting from angles you know sell the story and, yeah. and the impacts. So it's, it's a great guide. I'd say it's not always, I don't follow it 100% of the time, but it's, it's definitely like a great base layer to know. And actually I watched in between takes, you know, the, the camera operators, the, the actors, everybody would refer to these videos you guys would make. And it was a very, uh, very inventive way to approach a scene because it, it allowed everybody to get on the page exactly what was going to happen and also keep it fresh because it was such a, it is such an epic fight that there's no way you can remember it all. But I remember the first time Marcus showed me one of his videos. I don't remember which episode it was for. And I watched it and I said, you know, this is all great, but, um, these guys looked, you know, it looks too good. It looks too polished. We don't want polished martial arts on our show. And Mar Marcus explained to me, well, when my guys do it, that's how it looks. When your guys do it, it's not going to look like that. <laughs> like they can't help but look professional because they are professionals. And, and it's also putting, you know, our guys aren't putting the character in. So as, Marcus as directed in. this uh, sequence while I was on the other stage doing a scene with Gordon. You know, talk about this, because, you know, the important thing is that it doesn't look choreographed, you know? So talk about the messiness that you're going for. Well, we didn't want it, like you were, you were saying, this doesn't want to be choreographed at all. And this was one of the points where you said we could be anywhere in the room. So we looked at it and we're inside of the, uh, you know, the bathroom and made it really tight and really messy. So by breaking things, hitting things, that impact is the emotion that a story is yeah. giving so i love that little section in the shower and the toilet and i also just love that she's holding her own like it's so it's so much fun and so exciting that she's you know giving it her all and i like when things you know what hurts her and what doesn't and i do love that we you know go out of every scene not knowing necessarily who who's got the upper hand yeah, yeah. and this, you know, this section going through amish country you know i scouted and walked you know miguel sapochnik who directed our finale tag team this you know so that we could get a few more shots Did those couple of shots passing in Amish country thought he did a beautiful job with those yeah this scene actually surpassed my expectations when you finally see Kai Proctor come to stand up for his niece and 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 then have to face his father like the emotional heft that that Ulrich brought to this scene really blew me away this this sort of elevated the show to somewhere else now you're know, just to talk for a second you know uh, uh, slightly unrelated to this but you know there's a a giant telephone pole that's in all this coverage and we're in Amish country. So our visual effects team at Encore, you know, we go through and do so many great invisible touches that the audience doesn't even realize, like, you know, and to be able to build the reality, you know, like we found this great location, but right behind Esther's head, Esther Bowman is a telephone pole, which they've, you know, taken out. So we do, you know, we do the big stuff like the bus crash, but I think, you know, it takes as much skill and art of our visual effects artists to, you know, to take that telephone pole away and not distract from any of the drama. Sure. Yeah, we had another episode where they had to visually insert smoke coming out of the girls' mouths when they tried pot for the first time because our actresses had never used a water bong before and they, they couldn't get the smoke up. So visual effects put the smoke in. It's, it's those little invisible touches I love as much as the bus crash. It's the things that the audience would never in a million years that, that build a certain reality. And I think, you know, Ulrich, you know, grabbed onto this episode and was like, if there's any episode I'm going to go for for the Emmy, yeah. it's this one. Yeah, this is his Emmy clip right here. 
And he, but, but and this it, scene where he faces his father, it's just, oh, he brought it, this hurt little oh, boy gosh. to it. It was just mm. incredible. It's, it is incredible. And I think Alpha does a great job as, as, as you know, Israel Proctor and the rigidness. And it's so not cliche where you don't see him breaking down and secretly having love. It's like, there is really a disconnect. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's even harder to accept. And, and now that he's getting it in, you know, and, and the fact that it's a showstopper and that he's there. Has he even hurt you at all? My son is dead. And he can't even truly confront. You know, it's like he's looking at a ghost in a way. Yeah. And you see Kai Proctor, who's this really tough guy, actually somewhat undone by seeing his father. It takes him a moment to collect himself and build up his rage because he's actually undone. Yeah. Or what? And I love Ulrich. You know, it's funny because when we were doing uh, episode nine, when he was doing the big fight in episode nine with Lucas, I said, you didn't get to do this in a better world. And he's like, all I did was hug my kid and cry. Like I've never, he's never, he had never done any kind of, you know, physical acting or fight choreography. So, you know, just jumping ahead to F9 for a second, you know, in Proctor, you know, what Marcus, did you find the, the challenge of working, you know, with an actor that had never done any kind of stunt work before? Well, it was trying to take something that he could relate to and turning it into a language that he could understand and make him excited to come back. And I think after a while, he started to feel like, you know, this is something that I really am getting into. I love how the makeup, you know, we progressed the makeup, we, we smashed, we had, uh, Jamie, our onset dresser was fantastic. Like, you know, we added, you know, we often are adding more broken stuff than was actually getting broken. And we had to keep adding to it and <laughs> trashing the place. You know, we had a lot of, you know, I put whatever budget we could into whatever breakaways Marcus wanted, you know? He's like, I'm like, trash the place, and we made... And they did a phenomenal job. I know that Jono was working nonstop to get this done, and it looks great. You know. this, this had to hurt these guys. As much as we rubberized the floor and did what we could, I mean, these guys, they're falling, they're getting hit by, yeah. even getting hit by this breakaway stuff has to hurt. The floor Definitely. is all foam. You know, you guys, you know, recommended that we put foam down and painted it to look like the wood floor. And it really, it made the difference because it added, you know, an inch of cushion for them, but it's still takes a little of the sting and I think the rest yeah. of the crew wanted that done to their house. Yeah, I know. It was it was it was great because it was, you know, being a director and being on your feet for 14 hours, you know, your legs feel it and I actually like love being in the loft. I told them not to not to Is remove it. Is it going to stay? Are we going to I'm going to leave it until we until we have to get rid of it because I <laughs> I quite like it. It's sort of cozy. And I like too, I think for Anthony too who had been so through the ringer with all his fight choreography and actually, you know, he definitely got bruised and banged up just out of, you know, just doing, even play fighting is still not Absolutely. easy. And the fact that he got an episode off and that it was really, he was like, good luck, fellas, with uh, Oleg and uh, and Carrie to be able to do this their own thing. This is a good break for him, but he worked extremely hard and hats off to him. And, you know, he did a fantastic job because next episode is a big one for him. Yeah, well, <laughs> he spent a good chunk of the season limping. Yeah. I mean, he was He bleeds for the show, you know, five days a week. And that was one of the things that we tried to work out. And, oh. Here comes Nola Longshadow. Talk about the origin of this. Uh... So this was great. You know, I had been a fan of Odette's from House, and you, of course, had a close relationship with her. And you gave me a call one day and said, you know, what would you do if, uh, if Odette was around and wanted to do something on Banshee? And, and I had been thinking that the Longshadow story needed some juice. And I just thought the idea of this sort of exotic sister of Alex's who comes back and is sort of the the rebellious sister who left and also happens to be a you know a highly trained assassin that 
you know, it would just add this extra bit of juice to the second half of our season. And, you know, she really doesn't do much in this season, but what we're basically doing is we're setting her up for some really intense stuff for the beginning of season two. And there's just something so compelling about, you know, this this beautiful long lost sister who who comes in and has no fear of anybody, no fear of Proctor, no fear of anybody. And you just know, even though she's not going to show it to you in this season, that uh, when she throws down, it's going to be nasty. And I love that the show got bigger. Like uh, it's episode eight when when things are you know kind of established, and yet we're still establishing new characters and new ideas. And Odie coming in and was so great at Native American looking. The second she parted her hair down the middle and put that choker on her, and it's funny because you know she's Cuban and Anthony is uh, who plays Alex is Hawaiian. So you know we tried initially. To explore, in fact, you know, Russell Means, you know, played, um, played Chief uh, Longshadow. Chief Longshadow, and he was ill actually all during the production of Banshee with cancer, and he died uh, shortly after doing his additional dialogue for episode six, and he was really too sick to return for episode eight, so we shot it with a double, and even if he was well enough, it really brought up an ethical issue for us of. You know, here's someone who's really close to death, and we're going to do a Native American death right over him. And, you know, I genuinely was worried that, you know, we could lose him right there. And it just didn't seem where we wanted to go. So it actually, you know, made scenes more about Alex and Nola by having to stay off or use a, use a photo double for Russell in, in this episode. You were all he had left. But you were also the thing that killed her. Maybe he made mistakes, but everything he did... This is like the ultimate dysfunctional family with a punch and a kick added to it. Do you work in, you know, I know I I add my own direction to things, but do you guys, when you're choreographing this with the actors, how much of this weariness do you work in? We take into account, you know, the actors' spacing and their timing of things, and, and this is when we said added with a punch, so... Um, it doesn't stop, you know? It just doesn't <laughs> stop. You know, like, and I love that even no matter how hard she takes it, she keeps coming back. Like, she's just... I mean, this is the fight for her life. It's not just the fight for her survival in this fight. It's the fight for her family's survival. It's the fight for, for Carrie Hopewell's survival. It's all about to, to come tumbling down, and she's fighting for everything she spent the last 15 years building. And it just doesn't stop. Like, you think, like, all right, well... Now this is where we're gonna get into something, and she just keeps taking it. And it's really our first fight to the death, you know? And it's different in tone than what we did with Proctor and Lucas in episode nine, which, you know, has a certain entertainment value. Like, these two guys needed to get this out of their system, and it actually bonds them in a way, and, you know, the tension that will be, you know, come together and be ripped apart throughout the seasons. But, you know, it's something here that just uh, blew us away. And, and, you know, again, you know, our visual effects team, you know, they work so nicely with stunts, you know, because this stake that she's got in her gut, you know, was of course, you know, only half a stake and visual effects comes in and adds the spikiness to the end and to be able to, you know, have it penetrate the skin and, you know, stabilize it on his back and do all these little touches that you don't even realize that you're watching. But, you know, just the having a, a belt around Oleg's back with the spike sticking out still left the spike a little wobbly. And, you know, they really came in and cleaned all that up and added some continuity of blood and all the stuff that we're going so quickly, we can't see every little detail that, um, you know, needs a little helping hand. I love this scene that uh, Ryan Shane, you know, is just so, you know, wise beyond her years, you know, she's truly such a 
gifted young actress. When we were looking at audition tapes for, for Deva Hopewell, hers was, if not the first, definitely one of the first three we saw, and we immediately picked her. And then, of course, we had to do our due diligence and look at a lot of other actors, but we came right back to her because she just perfectly embodied this kind of sweet but rebellious and still finding herself, you know, 15-year-old kid, even though, you know, Ryan's 19, but uh, she just embodies it perfectly. Yeah. Alexa did such an amazing job. And, you know, we Alexa, you know, is doing one of the commentary tracks uh, on episode six with OC. Oh, and, you know, to talk about that process, because like, you know, for example, Hoon was the first, you know, Russ was the first guy we saw for Gordon. Hoon was the first person we saw for Joe, but there was no second choice. I mean, they just out of the gate. I mean, her ability to find such great, talented people. And part of the inspiration of using her was out of the fact that like Oz and The Wire, you know, she found all these people that would go on to all become famous. And I love the way that she can, you know, uncover and turn over rocks. You know, I'm looking at pilot season this year. And every show is just recycling the same cast of people from other shows or other things, and no one will take any chances. And Cinemax and Alexa, you know, reach and take chances that uh, I haven't experienced in my in my career in television. And if you remember, even picking Anthony, when we first saw, you know, Anthony was in New Zealand shooting a movie, so he taped his audition and sent it in. And we dismissed his audition immediately because it happened to be that he had a big head of hair on him and he looked kind of young. And we looked at it and we like, you know, this guy's kind of interesting, but he's too young. He doesn't look like he spent 15 years in prison. And we dismissed him and we kept looking. And then Alexa just kept telling us, look at him again, look mm -hmm. at him again. And she saw what, what we were looking for, but we didn't quite see. And, and, and that kind of came up right as we were about to test these two other actors and one fell out. And then, you know, Anthony's tape kind of came back across and we ran with it and had faith. Talk about these flashbacks. Where did this come for you? This actually... We hadn't done I, hallucinations no, yet. This actually, if I, if I remember correctly, this was your idea. <laughs> but, oh, uh, okay, good. Nice. Yeah, but, uh, I'm a genius. But, uh, you know, or else, yeah, I think it was your idea and, and the idea to actually not ground the flashback in an actual setting, but put the restaurant into his loft, mm -hmm. which gave it this really ghostly feel. And, you know, the idea was just that these three people were friends and, and these three people were once part of a world together and now they're fighting for their lives. And it just seemed like this great thing while she's, you know, Banshee in general, we, we use the language of flashback and hallucination to tell story and to have her lying on the floor, you know, close to death and remembering a time when the three of them were friends and, and they were all in it together and never could have imagined that it would come to this 15 years later. I know the Budmo became our chant at, uh, at work. It's, I loved inserting uh, Ivana when she was all bloody. Yeah, that was a great stroke. You know, like those little touches I, I, I dug. And I also dig that we expanded the whole visual and written vocabulary of the show by having hallucinations. You know, we'd done flashbacks and flashbacks within flashbacks and to do something that was flashback and hallucination and you know, it, during this kind of near-death experience that she's having is really, you know, kind of cool. And when you look at a flashback like this, you realize, like, there's got to be a full-time person on the show just tracking the facial hair of, yeah. of, of Anthony. This was, the, the scene, this initial, oh this part of the scene was a, a Lily's idea to be, you know, studying herself in the mirror. And it's kind of great that you, you guys are collaborative enough to listen to the cast a few times during the season this happened. What's great about our cast is they care a tremendous amount about the show and not just about their characters. I'll sometimes get lengthy emails from Anthony or from Ulrich, and you're used to actors sending you emails about their scenes and saying, hey, maybe we could do this or we could do that, and those are good ideas sometimes, and you go with them. But Ulrich and Anthony actually read the show um, almost the way a producer would, and they come at you and... 
Ulrich pointed out some some dramatic weaknesses in one of our episodes and gave suggestions on how to fix them. And they had nothing to do with him. He wasn't even in the scenes. He just read the script and he gave us some really good ideas. And and Anthony also, he reads the whole script. He's not just looking at his part. He's looking at, you know, they're sort of, they've become caretakers of the overall show, which yeah. makes it really easy to collaborate with them because you know it's not self-serving. They really... They're looking out for the show. Totally, and it's great that we have you know kind of a hive mind and a lot of people you know putting eyes on it because we're all, you know, there's only so much each of us can see and do. You know, this is a piece of set dressing that actually you know I I, I punted over to costumes because you know for me, you know when she wraps herself in this blanket, this isn't you know a, a something that that set decorating can provide. It's got to be this is a costume, even though it's a blanket, it still becomes a costume. And I love that you know Patia grabbed onto this kind of bride and groom aspect of her all in white and 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 the quilted uh you know thing it had to hang and flow and i wanted you know i remember this jane campion film with you know the 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 this kind of you know the the cascading dress you know and wanted this very romantic almost you know romeo and juliet on the balcony kind of staging to it and and you know we we would go fluff the back of it and the pattern that she's in patia you know our costume designer really you know is so creative and, and really you know adds to the characters by how she dresses them in the story she's trying to tell absolutely and this is just such a beautifully dressed up scene because you know what's basically happening here is rebecca is joining her uncle in what will ultimately become a very twisted relationship and you know so you're sort of seeing here this is the marriage this is these two people coming together and season two is going to focus largely on proctor and rebecca and rebecca's you know ascension into proctor's crime world and the idea that you know it was dressed up to look like a marriage of sorts it's just a beautiful layer to the whole scene and i love that lily got to shine in here i love that Chris Vass and Lily sure. and, and Gord, you know, Russ and you know, some of our players. I mean, how was it to weed out and to not see, you know, Brock and Siobhan and Emmett and some of the other characters? How was that for you to weed that out for this episode? So how was it for me or how was it for them? Well, for you, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. is that a, do you feel some obligation to service everybody or how um, does that? You, you know, it starts to get to a point where you, you actually feel the weight of having to service everybody. And there was almost a relief in writing this episode where we knew we were just going to keep this to really our three principles, you know, Lucas, Carrie, and Proctor, and let everything else feed out of that. So if nobody else fit into that, nobody else fit into that. But occasionally it, it's actually very liberating to say, I just want to focus on our three leads. And, you know, this, is, this episode is about consequences, and all the consequences affect these three. So, you know, I always think, you know, I remember something that Monty Python said. They said, if we had money, we would have been half as good. And I think the same applied to us on Banshee. And we were under such a tight budget this first season. And, you know, the financial constraints forced us into a really creative solution to an episode that actually turned out to be, you know, for me, one of one of really some of my favorite work that I've ever done. And you yeah, know, it's one it, of mine as well. It, it really just came together so beautifully. In fact, we shot this before episode seven. And it was a great experience. I mean, making it was intense. Where we landed, you know, the design of it, you know, just it, it all kind of came together. And I loved, you know, what we did both editorially and on the page and, you know, and ultimately in the direction in many ways. I was really, you know, I was really happy with my own work. Some of these things that have been in my wheelhouse that it was just great to be able to shine, you know, shine a light on. Broken, bleeding, finished. No. Even now you fight. When the fight is already lost, my poor, broken Anastasia. My name is Carrie. No!
when we were discussing about how we want to put the punctuation on the end of the scene and looking all over the set thinking, what can we do? What's gonna, what are we going to stick them with? And Greg kept saying, bigger, bigger, more shards. You know, I initially had it scripted as a, a metal piece of the bed that, you know, they destroyed the bed and fighting and she grabs a metal piece. And then you guys came up with this this wooden stake that he stabbed her with. I just love the idea that they're both stabbing each other with the same thing. Absolutely. You know? yeah. And I also love that they're that they that they fall down. You know, I always loved in uh, you know, uh Rocky One or Rocky Two, you know, where they're where, both where Creed and Rocky are down are down and they're yeah. both there's a certain intimacy and care between them and that, you know, that these fights, you know, the, the, the fact that we're more of a fist show than a gun show, you know, is, is a certain intimacy and connection, you know, the guns can be often distancing and here, you know, the fact that they're almost laying in bed together. You I, know? Love, I love the look on his face when she pulls it out of. And all this uh, stake work, you know, is a combination of visual effects. And it's interesting, hard to act, you know, she's acting and trying to force something down that isn't even there. Then we had a bit of a blood gag and, you know, I actually feel I see the life go out of Chris's eyes here and that was, you know, great performance work. We shot pretty much, didn't Marcus, we shoot pretty much this whole thing in a day? The whole thing in one day. So they were actually just, he was pretty good, but she was really wiped out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, it is still, even though it's, it's pretend, you know, everything that you're seeing, you have to imagine they've done it 10 more times than the audience is actually seeing. You know, they didn't take off their makeup for lunch. So I actually have these pictures. We were all having lunch together and Ivana's just sitting there eating and her face looked like that. It's... We trashed the place, and I love the, uh, this, you know, this was, you know, sort of reminded me of Manhunter that Michael Mann directed, you know, the blossoming wings of blood, you know, and these kind of images that got seared in my head when I read the script for the first time. It really, like, your, your writing, Jonathan, really jumps out at me as a director, and I feel that I, there's just such a, a comfortableness in which I, I can immediately see the show, and this is on set, you know, right. which are two different places, and Anthony actually quite by accident broke broke down the door because we put a few things in front of it, and then we kept recreating the broken door because it was so great and also lent to the fact that, uh, you know, there was so much destruction around, but we, we had to trash the place, clean it up for episode seven, and then retrash it again for episode nine when they go get the body, and our set uh, decorating team really took very thorough forensic pictures of all those things. No. You come back to me now. You come back. Anna, open your eyes. Come on. You know, Anthony kept referencing the scene between Ed Harris and uh, Mary Elizabeth Monsantonio in The Abyss for the scene where he's, he's, he's got to revive yeah. her. And, and, you know, and I love that you found humor in, in this. The, that she says, it's Carrie. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a great gag. And, you know, just editorially for me to be able to hold on this shot, you know, on the wide shot at the very end, you know, I I wanted to stay a few extra beats on the empty room, you know, to yeah. again, like, start to anticipate, you know, would there be more to the to the episode? And this really starts our three-part finale, eight, nine, and 10 are all of a piece. And, you know, I, I just, I love that we could spend two, three, four, five seconds on that frame before we slammed a banshee. The last scene of this with Alex Longshadow, you know, Toby, this is really where we started telling story at the end of the credits. Sure. This is also the, the only episode that we don't have end credit music. You know, we have such a gifted and Emmy winning sound team that uh, that we really wanted to do something design wise. So 
to kind of keep with the near-death experience of, uh, of what's coming. And, you know, this transition of what is a subjective experience for Carrie, and it, it pulls a few sound bites from episode nine, transitions into the hospital, you know, the, the, where, where we wind up. So we wanted to both begin and end the show in a different way so that people really felt that there was something kind of unique and special about this and, and that we already in the first season of the show really start breaking format. Yeah, no, it's great. The, the sound itself is just a, that great low rumble that you just know, like, shit is coming. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And we even you know made sure that we were careful how we presented our coming attraction at the end of this episode. We didn't want to give too much away, and we wanted to start almost marketing the next two episodes as you know particularly epic and unique, and and we went for a different rhythm even in that regard. And I thought Anthony uh, did a beautiful job on this scene. You know, the we tried to keep these end little clips as single shots as much as possible, which is just I think good for the actors and great buttons for us. We did work hard with uh, our Native American uh, consultant to, you know, make sure that the things that were happening, all all the props, all the all the way that we represented this as uh, as authentic as possible. It's going to be great to let Anthony Rivavar next season really get involved in the plots in a meaningful way too. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm Greg Utanis, uh, executive producer of Banshee, and uh, I appreciate uh, you guys hanging out with us for episode eight. Yep, Jonathan Tropper signing off. Marcus Young, thanks a lot.